able to get a lot of clients to come in that have never hunted elk in their whole life. And then all of a sudden, you know, they hear that scream and I mean, he's just trembling like crazy. They never forget that. Let's, let's put it this way. An Instagram account was put on my phone and a name was made and then the phone was handed to me and go, now you're on social media. It's important for us as outdoorsmen, hunters, fishermen, to set good examples. And that's kind of how I I do my hunting, is I, I find those general areas or places I can buy over the counter, which is a different strategy because you talk to some guys and they'll have multiple points in multiple states. It was a very scary situation. You know, I had a lot of great hunts this year, but I learned a huge lesson on that one. This is Dave Baronio, and you're listening to Living Country in the City. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. We are recording another wonderful evening here at the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. I, it's always a struggle for me to say the word conservation because I keep trying to say conversation expo. Um, but uh, we, are, we are here. I am hanging out with uh, Mr. Dave Veronio, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood Davo, O-O-O. That's it. <laughs> How are you, brother? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. It's been a so, good show. So, yeah. Uh, why don't you give the fine folks listening a little bit of background about yourself? Just uh, how did you kind of get into all of this, get your start in hunting, the outdoors? You know, I was born into a hunting family. You know, my dad, um, my mom came over from Norway. She, she was more of the gathering type, I guess. <laughs> you know, she was, she was raised on, on fisk. And berries, you know, that they used to pick and milk and goats and everything else. But my that sounds my like d- the biggest BS story in the world. I'm just, <laughs> oh yeah, she was raised on goats and berries and like. <laughs> yeah, the high country of Norway. Um, so uh, my dad, um, you know, was uh, raised in California back before it got overpopulated and used to. F- I mean, we drive by by uh, buildings and you know everything that used to be pheasant fields and, and whatnot and so um but dad uh avid, avid outdoorsman my uncles uh, byron and mike both avid outdoorsmen as well and um you know a lot of their hunting was was subsistence it was it would they'd get a 50 pound bag of rice and anything that they shot out of the air off the ground fished for or picked from the rocks uh, when the surf when the tides were down along the Pacific coast uh, was what they lived on, you know, crabbing and abalone or pheasants and ducks and, you know, pig to deer. So they, you know, they basically, um, they ate game for, you know, for living, especially going through college when, you know, they were on a college budget. But, uh, you know, being a part of that lifestyle as I was growing up, 
Yeah, I just had a passion for the mountains, you know, starting out uh, at a young age, you know, shooting pheasants with a BB gun or shooting at pheasants with a BB gun as yeah. they fly. And then, you know, my dad or uncle would, uncles would blow them out of the sky. But, um, <laughs> you know, so then I, had, I just had this passion for the outdoors and just being kind of, uh, you know, alone in the outdoors. That's where I feel closest to my creator. So then as growing up through athletics and everything else, um, I didn't get to hunt as much as I wanted, but I did fish a lot. And then I got into, uh, you know, before my college years, and it was, you know, then I really dove into hunting and the outdoors because I had more time and I had the ability to drive myself wherever I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any, any time that I had was, you know, a lot of it was spent in the outdoors. Yeah. Um, and then it was just, uh, you know, over the years, it's progressively... I've found other ways to be more immersed in it. So it's, you know, the television show without back outdoors, um, you know, and the hunts and everything I got to do with these, you know, these gentlemen. And then the guiding. And so for R&K Hunting Company or for Fraser Safari or, you know, just finding different ways to, to stay connected, to be in the outdoors and, you know, make a living at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I mean, you, you know, no one can say that you haven't, fully immersed your life in the outdoors um you know and i think that's uh that's where so many of us kind of want to be you know is just uh finding any way to whether it's hunting or camping or fishing or whatever it is just completely immerse ourselves in the outdoors i mean you know shoot how many times am i at the office and i'm just sitting there daydreaming about uh about bucks or you know trout or honestly just throwing out a tent next to my truck at, out on a mountain somewhere and just enjoying a campfire you know i think it's it's taking the time to do that you know i think there's so much of society that is removed from the outdoors or from you know more primal roots you know or hunting or fishing where our natural food comes from, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I think seeing, seeing people in our society and our busy fast paced society t- testing, you know, the outdoors or giving it a try or, uh, you know, just experiencing it for the first time and then taking it up. Mm-hmm. It's, that's kind of a cool thing because there's a lot of, it, a lot of it that's going, you know, our, as we go through the generations, we start losing, yeah. you know, losing that, uh, a natural instinct, I guess. It's it's tough. I, I think may have told this story on the podcast before, but I was I was on a road trip uh, last year around May, and I was I was coming into Salt Lake actually, and I was waiting to meet up with some friends, and I just went to like a local park to kind of take a little nap up against a tree and just enjoy being outside for a minute. And I was I took the time and I just sat and observed uh, observed everyone, like all the families and stuff, and and just watching them and. You know, I mean, I get stoked on just about any animal in the world, whatever I see. But, like, watching their interaction with, like, the ducks and the ponds and, and how they would... I don't, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but, like, that was their... For them... That was as outdoors as it got. That was as, as backcountry... That was backcountry for them. Like, and, you know, not saying that in a way to talk down about them because it's just not everyone has that experience. But... It's just, it's such a weird thing. Because even when I was in the most city I've ever been, like, I'd still go out camping with family. You know, it it wasn't, like, my life center around it, but it was more like a summer vacation thing. But it's just, it's so amazing to see that and realize, like, this is the only experience some people have outdoors is a cement pond, man-made cement pond with, you know, some ducks they're throwing bread at. And, and that's it. They're never going to... They're never going to go out of that comfort zone. And it just, it kind of, I was sitting there and I was like tripping myself out. I was probably thinking about it way too much. Um, <laughs> well, no, but that's, that's something, I mean, it, when you think about that and you try to put yourself into their position, into their life, seeing their kid that is feeding bread to this animal that, uh, you know, has, has probably lived on this concrete pond its whole life, but yeah. that's a, a wild animal to, to this kid and, uh, or you know, or the adult, they, that may be the only thing they really see. You know what? What's what I really I love guiding. 
I love bringing people into my environment. And a lot of the people that I, that I take out, you know, are avid hunters. But uh, we get a lot of clients that come in that have never hunted elk in their whole life. And so I'll get a bow hunter from, you know, say the Midwest or the East that's never seen an elk in the wild or, you know, heard an elk in the wild. And you get them out and start hiking. And then all of a sudden, you know, they hear that scream and it gets, sends a chill up there. I mean, it's like it's like yeah. the first time ever. And then you call this bull in to five, seven yards and the guy can't. I mean, he's just trembling like crazy. They <laughs> never forget that. You know, that is an experience of a lifetime. And that's that's one thing special about doing what I do and, and guiding is being able to give these experiences to to people. I don't have to be the one pulling the trigger. I don't have to hunt. I always have a freezer full of meat from, say, you know, friends hunting or my clients hunting or, mm-hmm. or whatnot. But just to be out there and, and share that experience with people is is, you know, passing it on. Yeah. It truly is some magic. I mean, there's always going to be something special about, you know, clicking the release or pulling the trigger on an animal. Like, there's always going to be some special connection there, but so much of that experience, that's pretty much the smallest part of the experience. Like, it's the most cliche thing in the world to say. I know it is, but it's awesome part, but it's the smallest part of the experience. So you have this whole vast hunting experience that you can still get by taking someone else out. You know, by by sharing that with someone, um, and especially you know, if you've already filled your tag or you, you know you didn't draw anything or you, you just aren't in a place where you're gonna go out and go crazy hunting this year, um, it's an opportunity to to get that experience uh, for a lot a lot less money typically too. <laughs> <laughs> right, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's a cool thing, you know, and I'm, I'm excited. Like, even just taking my nephew out and, you know, I'm, I'm still so new at this. Like, I barely know what I'm doing when I'm going out. And, but, I, you know, I try and share as much as I can with him. And it's just cool to, you know, see we're out predator hunting and, and just watching him be able to take a shot on a coyote. And, you know, we didn't end up uh, connecting, but it's just cool to, to call one in for him and, and be part of that. I'm like, there's personal victory in that, you know. Yeah. Uh, but so uh, I've uh, followed you for a little while on Instagram, um, and I kind of like connected the dots in funny, different There's ways. There's a lot of d- dots. It's, out there. <laughs> it's it's very very different because you know I've followed you on Instagram, but then I didn't connect the dots because uh, uh, I've interviewed Trevin before, and we we connected really well and we've chatted a bunch and uh he sent me um the too close for comfort uh, part two 2.0 uh, yeah. 2.0 and uh you know he's like hey well you know what do you what do you think of this you know this is what we're we want to do for full draw and i kind of gave him a little bit of feedback but i didn't make that connection between you and that and then um the initial ascent guys as well because i you know i'm good buddies with them and i've talked with them a bunch and and so these three different directions, and then finally last night it all kind of clicked. I'm like, oh, okay. That's that guy. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I think I commented yesterday. I started following you because of the Instagram name. I was like, Hollywood Davo. <laughs> I'm like, he's probably not from Hollywood, but i got to follow him just to find out at least. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he's definitely not from. <laughs> so it's, I know how much you love that, that nickname. You know, you chose it yourself. Um, <laughs> You, you were like, you know what? This let's is, let's this put is my it this thing. way. An Instagram account was put on my phone, and a name was made, and then the phone was handed to me and go, <laughs> now you're on social media. <laughs> because I was so adamant. Trevin was like, Bronia, you got to get on Facebook. you got to get on Instagram. I'm like, no, I don't need to do any social media. He goes, no, it'll help with the show. And this was a number of years ago. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, being adamant that I wouldn't do it, um, our camera guy at the time, Grady, he's uh, he put it together on there. He and oh, Dustin Etheridge were messing around with me. And next thing you know, like, what do we call you? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and that that showed up. So yeah, it's it's a Hollywood Dave. Oh 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 for Outback Outdoors. And uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to get rid of that name. I'm kind of <laughs> stuck with it. So uh, so now's your chance to any good stories about Trevin that we should. <laughs> Yeah, no. 
I think uh, Trevin will tell you his own own story. Yeah, no, no we've, had a, we've had a great we've had a great time together, great career with Outback Outdoors. You know, it was uh, roughly ten years that we spent you know doing Outback Outdoors. I've known him for a number of years before that as well. I think fourteen years now. Um, but I decided to you know not move off. Well, basically, you know, start doing my own thing as as Dave Baronio and not. Uh, uh, not doing television or anything else. Spend a lot more time guiding and doing volunteer work, um, you know, which, which is such a gratifying thing. You know, yeah. for people that are new to the hunting industry uh, or to hunting or to nature and the outdoors, I think one one of the best things they can do is volunteer. Volunteer for these conservation organization groups. Volunteer with your local department, you know, your state department of wildlife, there are events like, you know, uh, transplants, uh, mm-hmm. you know, animal captures and relocations. There's we've got animals for collars and everything. Sheep else. count coming up in, or uh, yeah, a, a bighorn sheep count coming up in Southern California that I did last year. What a great so way to fun. be in the be out there and to learn about these animals. And uh, like in Nevada last week, we captured 50 antelope. And those 50 antelope were transported up to the Yakima Indian Reservation, uh, the Yakima Nation up in Washington, where there once, um, before 2011, uh, 2001, there were no antelope up there. Oh, wow. They came down, they picked up 99 antelope, and that herd grew to over 300. And then this last year, they needed to augment that herd, uh, so they came down and got another 50. And then later that week, we went out and did bighorn sheep captures. Oh, wow. And so the you got the helicopter and the net gunner um, and then the mugger, and they captured these sheep. They, they put um, hobbles on them, put blindfolds, put them in nets, and then lightly drop them down to the, the crew of the biologist. So and as a volunteer, you know, I get in there. It's hands-on. It's helping them. It's listening to the biologist, being intimate. Not intimate, but... <laughs> Close, <laughs> bleep. Okay, you gotta edit that one out. You know, being close, you know, and really in the space of these animals, and just seeing how their bodies are, and seeing how they work, and and listening to the biologists about, you know, how they are in the mountain, and and for somebody that's new or somebody that's spent their life, you know, in the outdoors, yeah, it's a learning experience. And those sheep, uh, you know, a number of them went to augment an existing herd, but then thirty-one of them. We let go in the bloody runs in Nevada, and uh, they. So basically, it's a brand new herd in a brand new mountain range, and it won't be probably you know for another ten years that there may be yep. one tag issued. But it's a new herd, and it's something that I was a part of, and I can look back on and, and say I made a difference. That's so cool. That's just it's it's value for them it's value for you there's no downside to doing that there really isn't i mean and like you said there's so many opportunities you know find these conservation organizations most of them have facebook groups like for the local chapters whatever they are whether it's bha or rmef or you know wild sheep foundation mule deer foundation you know we're here at the hunt expo and it's sponsored by the mule deer foundation um I mean, all of these places, you know, you can find groups online and sign up for email list. They send out notices. You know, you can call your local fish and game department, ask when when the next opportunity to volunteer is, you know. And I actually had the sheep count uh, we did last year. It was an interesting experience because there was a lot of probably 75% of the people that show up for those in Southern California are want nothing to do with hunting. Um, and so it gives you some interesting opportunities to have conversations with people that would typically be vehemently, you know, anti what you're doing. Like we're talking full on like hardcore. I, I hate you cause you hunt vegans. Um, you know, they're out there to save, save the animals. And so are we And you suddenly, it forces you to realize you have something in common with them. Yeah, that, that's that's a great point because I think it's a great platform for both of you to understand each side and understand that um, you know there's a lot of animals that won't get hunted from 
you know, these certain areas. But there's, if you don't have hunters and outdoorsmen, you have zero dollars to put back on the mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, the conservation organizations, some of these, you know, these hunting groups and, uh, and volunteers spend more time and money to, to help with habitat, to help with transplants, you know, whatever, research, whatever it may be, than all those other organizations put together. And if you don't have mm-hmm. hunting and, and outdoors men and women, none of that gets taken care of. You have no Department of Wildlife yep. to, to manage and, and do research and set quotas and manage them through the best managing tool, which is hunting. Well, you know, people... I. I don't know where people think this money comes from. You know, it's not PETA donating it. You know, they're not they're not cute little cats and dogs. So PETA doesn't want anything to do with them other than to tell you how much they hate you. So I don't know where these people think the money from this comes. It's you know, it's not coming out of the general tax fund. That's for sure. Well, I mean, you know, for example, for example, the uh, Pittman Robertson Act, nineteen thirty seven, uh, Robertson from Virginia. Pittman from uh, Nevada, signed by Roosevelt. Yep. Um, you know that money is allocated for such things as habitat or or research and you know biology, everything else. And each state has the opportunity to put in for this money and use it for for that. And, uh, and it's, I mean, and it should be noted that was something that was lobbied for by hunters. This wasn't some mandate coming down. You know, Roosevelt didn't go, you know, come out of nowhere and say, I'll be damned if, you know, you're keeping all your money around, you know, whatever. This was in, in, in a time when people did not have a lot of money to throw around. But hunters saw this opportunity and they saw what was happening to their wildlife and their heritage and they were seeing it disappear. And so, I mean, this was not a, yeah, this was not some government mandate. This was literally people with a passion for wildlife. It's, a, it's an excise saying, tax yeah. on firearms, ammunition, pistols, archery gear, and it's that 11, 11% tax that goes into Pittman-Robertson, mm-hmm. you know, that can be allocated for things to, you know, to benefit nature, yep. animals, and it's, habitat. I mean, it's billions. It is billions of dollars. Like, unfathomable amounts of money that um you know and you can never have enough money as far as i'm concerned to save wildlife you know it's like there's always more projects that can be done more more work uh, more effort that can be put in but like that's an fairly what do what can i even reference that to that i have like a billion of you know it's just it's it's such a an insane number but um it's so important that people realize that, and I just, I don't think enough hunters realize that, let alone non-hunters. Right. And we could be so much better advocates for for hunting. Being more involved. If we're educated about that. And, I mean, I, th- I think there's definitely a move. There's been a, a push, just from what I understand about the history of things, but more recently, you know, I've, I'm obviously new to all of this, and only the past few years I've really been involved in... Um, but from just what I've seen, I feel like there's a big push, um, you know, for bringing new people in, for educating people about the really important aspects of what we're doing. It's not just, I say it all the time, it's not just beers and deers. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's fun too. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's a lot more to it. Yeah, it's, it's deep and it's uh, a lot of people with passion and it's just putting our time and our efforts where they, where they make the biggest impact. Oh, without a doubt. Mm. But yeah, so, you know, guys, whoever's listening, take this time, call up, uh, you know, write down a note, find find your local BHA group on Facebook, whatever, for your local state, you know, sign up for some email lists, whether, you know, I mean, if there's an animal that you love and are passionate about, I guarantee there's like a conservation organization dedicated to that. There's, I mean, the Wild Steelhead Coalition, there's, and I mean... It, there's something for sheep. There's something for goats. There's something for whitetail. There's something for mule deer. There's elk. There's this, that, the other. I mean, you could you can get pretty niche with some of these groups. Like you can find a project. There's no excuse for not um, not being able to find some way to some way to give back. What an experience to be a part of it too. Oh yeah. I mean, and it's not like it's a chore to do. 
I mean, how many of us would be spending our time? We choose to spend our time out in the mountains chasing animals anyways. Most of this stuff happens when you can't be hunting that animal regardless. It's all off-season stuff 90% of the time. So, you know, okay, give up up an afternoon of coyote hunting and go go hike in the mountain and learn about something that's probably going to help you anyway. You want an education on an animal, you volunteer for uh, time with the Department of Wildlife and help out those biologists, you'll get, Mm -hmm. you'll get, you know, there's a a great resource to tap into there. Well, and it's, it's amazing, you know, even in the face of all of this, you'll still get people that come to you and say, well, you just do this so you can kill more of them. It's like, well... In a roundabout way, yes, I guess that is technically true, but that's not what it's about. Like, what, how would you even re- how would you respond to someone that says that? Well, we, we will be hunting these animals because they will need to be managed, whether it be you know antelope, deer, elk, bears, mountain lions, wolves. Animals have to be managed. We've encroached on them, and uh, it's kind of our duty to you know help them on their numbers so that they their populations can can be sustained through time and uh i've had a lot of people say oh you're just putting them out there to to go go kill them but you know what half i would say 99 percent of the volunteer work that i've done that i've helped with i will never hunt those areas or be a part of you know a hunt that goes in those areas it's just the fact that I've made a difference. Those animals are out there. Somebody may mm-hmm. hunt them one day, or if the, you know, if the management practice, if the scientific numbers come through and it doesn't look like there can be a hunt, the department's not going to put together a hunt that's going to, you know, put a a species into jeopardy. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, hunting is the best management tool that we have out there for these animals, and and it's a necessity, basically. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com no, it's, I, I mean, like you're, you were talking about the, the work you did with the sheep and, and how they were released. And the, I feel like the sheep, sheep specifically, are probably the best example of that. Is, you know, you talk to someone and 90% of the people that are, are volunteering or donating for sheep, they have, there's no chance in this lifetime that they will ever draw a tag for that. Like, I mean, it is, there's a few, few ways you can maybe grab one. Um, but the likelihood is pretty dang low. And so, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's one of those funny things. I just, I kind of laugh and shake my head. I'm like, all right, this conversation's going to go for a while now <laughs> when, when I get, I'm approached by those people. But, you know, important conversations to have, important things to do. It is. And it's important for us as, as outdoorsmen, hunters, fishermen to set good examples to, you know, be educated and speak clearly and, and not be, uh, you know, rude and just, you know, set a good example for what, mm-hmm. you know, what, who we are as hunters, um, you know, be responsible for what's going to happen in our future. So, uh, so tell me about this last season. What, uh, how, how did this last season go for you? You know, it was, it was a busy season for me. I started my, my own hunting. I had, uh, you know, an Idaho elk tag, and then I had a, a Utah deer tag, and then I got right into my guiding. Um, so I spent, uh, you know, nearly two months up there in Wyoming for the R&K Hunting Company, okay. which I've been doing for, you know, getting on close to a decade now. And then, um, and then I had uh, a couple late season hunts. So I spent, you know, from basically, oh, the beginning, end of August to, you know, middle of November, out in the mountains, you know, I, um, uh, it's a I, tough, tough life to live, but somebody's got to do it, but somebody has to do it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely a, a good way to spend my time. Okay. So what's, uh, so what's coming up for this year? Well, I'm continuing to do the train to hunt, 
uh, events. I've got a event uh, qualifier coming up here March 23rd and 24th in California. Okay. And then on the 25th, I fly to New Zealand, and I go guide down there for about a month and a half. Oh, wow. And I turn around and fly back, and I've got, uh, I've got plenty of weddings to perform. Because that's what I do in and around yeah, we my, talking about in and around night, my right? guiding. So I've got a number of weddings to do, and hopefully I qualify for the national championships of Train to Hunt. For um, Train to Hunt, not the national championships for wedding officiation. That's Tot- right. Totally, yeah. different, totally different competitions. Totally different. <laughs> and then it's right back to guiding. And it really depends on what tags I draw this year. But because of my commitment to, you know, to the guiding, mm-hmm. um, I tend to do most of my hunting during the late season. You know, in November when when I'm not going to be out there. Is it, do you rely a lot on like over the counter or just as you kind of try and fill in spaces then, or you know, do you for, put in for a lot of draws? For Nevada, um, I put in and I, I built points for, for years and I hunt, but, um, and I do the same in Wyoming, but I don't play the points game, you mm-hmm. know, in any of these other states. I look for areas that have a, you know, really high opportunity draw mm-hmm. um i look for areas that i can buy over the counter and get away from people by uh putting them boots on the ground and going long distances um and that's kind of how i i do my hunting is i, mm. I find those general areas or places i can buy over the counter uh, no it's which it, is a different strategy because you talk to some guys and they'll have multiple points in multiple states and they play that play that game. I'm I'm still figuring. You know, I'm guess this is my third year putting in, and I'm still figuring out that game and and all the the different uh, hunts I got to put in for. And uh, I think I know that person. I think that was someone. I don't have my glasses on right now, so I'm pretty sure. But they waved back. <laughs> so I'm assuming. it was a girl. She waved. You waved back. Good job. Yeah. There we go. Pretty. I, <laughs> I think that's the person I think it was, but I'm not wearing my glasses right now, so it's like I can see I can see to you very clearly. Past that, it gets a little bit blurry. Oh, well, you said the reason um, you didn't wear glasses during a podcast, yeah, is and I still managed watcher, to get distracted. In here, you can get distracted and seeing everything. Um, but yeah, I'm totally I'm like figuring out how I got to do that and and how to play that points game and where I want to apply and you know there's yeah, there's no rest for the wicked man like you. You come January, you better be ready to, if you, if you want to get those points in, like you better be ready to be applying like every couple of weeks. If you're, if you're the type of person that wants to hunt all the animals, all the places, mm-hmm. um, and it's a, or you can do it like I do and find yeah. those general areas and put those those hunts together, plan those out. And it's, um, it's it's a th- it's I think you've got to find a good balance to where, yeah, okay, maybe if there's something you do want to hunt that's going to take some time, like if you are passionate about hunting sheep, yeah, there's some opportunities where, you know, maybe like New Mexico or something where you've got a, a chance, you know, on your first year, but, you know, you got to think ahead. So maybe that's your one thing and you can focus on that. And then you're like, yeah, I still want to hunt elk and deer. And there's so many opportunities that are a pretty much guaranteed draw or they're over-the-counter. You can do them every year. They're not that expensive. And, you know, it depends on where you live, too. You know, you may... Like me in California, I was just I was talking with some some guys about this from Wyoming. And, uh, as, and they're like, it's tough to get big game in there. I'm like, yeah, it's... I mean, elk draw, antelope, it's tough. But deer, if... I mean, there's definitely units that are difficult to draw, but... You can hunt deer every year in California. We got some decent deer. Um, populations are starting to thin out, but uh, oh, I won't won't say anything about that. Uh, that's a little frustrating. That's another rabbit hole. Yeah, man, I could I could complain about that all day long, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's it's dependent on where you live and and what you want to hunt, but uh, you know, you just got to find out what's important to you and figure out your strategy and. And, you know, hopefully tag along, especially if you're new, tag along with someone that knows what they're doing and they can provide you some direction maybe for the first year on where to put in. And Yeah, there's a lot of different resources out there, mm-hmm. you know, especially coming to an event like, you know, the, the Hunt Expo here in Salt Lake City. Oh, yeah. You walk through here and I guarantee if you're willing to talk to people and ask questions, you're going to come out of, out of here with oh, know, yeah. a boatload of information. 
Well, I mean, and if you're looking and if you're the type of person like you want to do, maybe look at a guided hunt or something for your first hunt, which is a great opportunity. You know, it's not for everyone, but you want to do a guided hunt for your first hunt, you will learn more than just about anything in this world. And I mean, you want to talk about opportunities to hunt just about anything. There's there's a booth for every location, every every spot, and everyone's got some deal for God knows how much off, but... You know, you you can you can see the pretty uh, pretty well uh, the breadth of opportunities when you yeah. come to something like this. It's like you said, it's very overwhelming. It's cool, um, but it's cool to see. You know, and it's um, like you said, there's a lot of lot of cool people here. I was just talking about this. Is most of the people in this room are pretty decent people. You know, they're they're good people. They're out. They love hunting. You know, they're, you're going to run into a few people that are just kind of they don't. You know, if we're being honest here, but for the most part, you know, you go up and you talk, you can walk up to just anyone that's walking by us right now, introduce yourself, start talking about hunting and they'll be like, Oh yeah, you know, I got this, you know, big old buck this one time. And you know, they'll start telling stories and it's a great time, you know, but so speaking of hunting stories, anything, uh, anything exciting from this year? Uh, there were, you know, there was a lot of exciting stories, but, uh, one that definitely, stands out in my in my mind was i took a i took this person with with no names mentioned out on a hunt and um you know it's it's important as guides to make sure that our clients are always safe because Mm -hmm. not knowing their backgrounds um what uh you know really they can tell you they're they're good at this and that but until you see them out there and really judge them for yourself and as a guide you know we take a lot of risk uh, you know, we're around guns all the time. We're around sharp objects all the time. And, um, you know, it's something we always have to pay attention to. And I had a client this year who was ejecting. Uh, we were on some elk mm-hmm. and the elk had moved off. So always make sure that the, the chamber is clear. Yeah. And the only way with this rifle is to put it on fire and then open the bolt. Okay. Um, some of them have a, you know a double a dual safety uh this gun didn't and so when this person went to went to put it on fire finger, finger was, was on, on the, the trigger, trigger and oh. and the uh six five creedmoor with a you know that was was ported went off within just a couple feet of my head and oh. it was uh it was a very scary situation you know i had a lot of great hunts this year but i learned a huge lesson on that one and after that uh we hunted the next next day and i carried the rifle uh didn't make a big big deal about it Mm -hmm. um that day was a little bit tough but i didn't make a big deal about it uh it was it was a huge learning lesson for this person yeah but after that i carried the rifle i never said that i was going to carry the rifle i just checked it put it over my you know put it on my pack and uh and we went out and and she killed a really nice bull afterwards but i was in control of everything that happened after that but yeah just a learning lesson that uh you know i appreciated but was extremely scary mm-hmm. uh, in the same, same so, so that actually brings up a, a good question so you know say somebody's going out um and like i said maybe they do want to do their first guided hunt you know what what are some things you prefer that uh this person, whether it's gear that they bring themselves or something they obviously like aside from, yes, you should probably know how to shoot your weapon. Um, but like what, what things do you see as you guide that make you think like, okay, I need to make sure people are aware of this and conscious of this for, for the next trip. Like, like you said, stuff like, you know, obviously rifle safety, you know, the, the absolute basics of that stuff, but well, they're spending a lot of money to come on a hunt. And I think one of the most important things, you know, around being able to shoot and their gear is their fitness, their mm-hmm. their personal health. Um, I've hunted with a number of people that just couldn't, you know, you're hunting elk and you got to be a little bit, you got to be a little quick sometimes and, and mobile. And, and I get, I've had some people out there that just couldn't do hardly anything. And it really restricts mm-hmm. their opportunity and their ability to um 
close the deal. Um, yep. You know, we have huge, we have great success and great property uh, throughout the R&K Hunting Company. But um, a lot of my clients that come back following years come back in better shape because they realized I don't, I don't want to waste that money because I, my body kept me, you know, restricted me from getting that extra 100 yards in a timely manner. Yeah. Or, you know, actually hiking to a place that you could shoot a mule deer that was bedded. Um, so I think one of the best things that somebody can do is put the effort into their fitness as best as they can, whether they're walking every day or whether they put a weighted pack on and go hike or, yeah. you know, just be... Be conscientious that you're going to be probably going to higher elevation and spending time out in the elements, and you're going to be, you know, exhausting your body. So you better prepare for it as oh, yeah. best as you can. You don't have to be a, a top athlete out there, but if you're going to spend that money, you better take the time to be in, yeah, be in a little bit better shape. Well, and you know, like you said, you don't have to be the top athlete, but like think about what you're going to go do and train for that. You know, don't. Sitting there and doing barbell curls all day long, yeah, it may help you pick up your pack when it's weighted down, but it's not going to do you much much good on the mountain, you know. So, you know, be conscious of what you're, <laughs> how you're training, what you're training as right. you as you do that too. Like, hey, man, it's it's fun to do chest and arm day all day long, but uh, there's only so much that helps with. <laughs> well. Uh- like Stephen Don uh, with Elevation Fitness, he said, you know, Dave, when we've been doing some train to hunts together, he says, I've been putting in, putting workouts together for people that are functional training for what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing a lot of chest and buys and tries, but you're, you know, neglecting your legs, well, what are the, what are the different functions that you're doing on the mountain? Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing squats, you're doing lunges you're crawling you did you know there's a lot of different things that you're doing and if if you're not doing some of those movements in the gym well you're not doing the right thing yeah you might look good but going out there but after that (laughs) you get passed up on the mountain i mean and it's you know you don't want to neglect anything basically like you're not saying that like okay yeah don't whatever you do don't train your chest yes you do use those muscles as well when you're having doing stuff on the mountain but functional like you said functional fitness is a very important thing and um you can be the most ripped dude in the world but if you can't make it up that mountain you're you're not getting that elk uh-huh. yeah. or you could just be like me and uh just somehow never seem to get that cardio working i gotta figure that out <laughs> it was discipline man colorado discipline. was rough this year man like it was i've never felt like I was suffocating so much in my life. <laughs> I did not acclimate whatsoever to that elevation until probably the last day. Yeah. Um, it was it was rough, but... Uh, Lesson learned. Are you move oh, into next year with a little bit more... Well, and it's training. tough. Elevation training's tough because it's like short of, well, just going to elevation and spending time there. There's, you know, you can, you can get your heart rate up and, and prep as much as possible, but elevation training's a... a it's always the the big thing like you hear everyone talking about when it comes to fitness is you know oh i use a mask oh i do this oh i do that i'm like still not being at elevation and it's like you can get as close as you can but i don't know that's i think that just means i need to move to the mountains that's what it is (laughs) find more time in the mountains yeah absolutely um so is there when somebody you know Obviously, you know, you want people to select your guide service. Um, but as people are selecting guides, like, I've heard horror stories about select, somebody selecting a guide service being like, this was the biggest mistake of my life. You know, you just picked either someone dishonest or that kind of got ripped off. What What are some key things that, that somebody would um, would look for when trying to select a quality guide? I think just do your research. You know, you come to shows like this and you talk to a lot of different, a lot of different outfitters. Um, then go back in and talk to people that, you know, try to find those people that have hunted with that person. You know, one of the worst things, you know, for a client is to go out there and have such polar opposite personalities, um, you know, in, 
Mm-hmm. Like once again, going back to the financial aspect, you're paying a lot of money to go. You better do your research and talk to those that have gone out there and have been successful with this with this guide. Find somebody that's that's reputable. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, just like anything else, whether you're buying a vehicle or you know <laughs> searching for a girlfriend, you know, you better <laughs> better find out a little background on that person. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So... Looking back, all of this time hunting, all of this experience you have, if you had to distill this down to um, maybe a few key, just important things, some of the most important thing, more important things you've learned in your time hunting, um, what would you, and if you need a second to think about it, but some of just over, over your time hunting, what, I mean, whether it's about hunting, whether it's about life. What are, what are some of the things you feel like you've really, some lessons you've learned over the, over the years? Oh, man. That's, that maybe hunting has taught you. Let's, let's go at it from that angle. That hunting has taught me. Well, you know, as, as I'm in the position I am now, just discipline and focus to, you know, really be the best out there that I can be, not against anybody else, whether it's trained to hunt or guiding. But I think just, I think the biggest thing is just... Uh, appreciation for what's really out there appreciation for time spent in the field um, appreciate for the animals we pursue mm-hmm. you know and their magnificence they spend you know their lives in the mountains and survive and uh, they don't have the luxuries of life and you think and I, I appreciate the type of animal that that is and the appreciation for the friends and the camaraderie and the people that we meet along the way. You know, all my friends here in the hunting industry, friends that don't hunt, you know, and what uh, I think just soaking that all, all in and being, being aware and uh, keeping that, keeping, you know, being conscientious about, yeah. about that. No, absolutely. So say somebody came up to you and said, Hollywood Dave, I, uh, you know, whether it is I'm from the city or I just did not grow up in a hunting family or environment. And I'm like, it looks cool. Like I want to do it, but I just don't have the background. I don't have the resources. Like it's a little intimidating. I, I don't think I should do this. You know what? I want to, but I don't know. What would you, uh, what encouragement would you give that person or, or what maybe advice would you give that person? I think one of the biggest things for somebody new is to make friends with people that that hunt and find out why they hunt. You know, if somebody wants to get into it because it's cool to go hunt, what what is the real reason you want to mm-hmm. do it? Is it because you want to hunt to you know for the meat because you want to eat meat that is 100% natural, you know, non-GMO? Or is it because you want to go out and just kill something and feel primal? Yeah. Or is it because you want to be in the outdoors and, and have that adventure? What, what is it about hunting that you really want to accomplish? Yeah. And then you need to go down, down that path. If it's just being in the outdoors and you know, seeing animals, go do something with the Department of Wildlife and go, you know, go do that. But if it's truly hunting for what, what it is, you know, to go out there, to kill, to process to pack it off the mountain, to put it in your freezer because you want, want to eat, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, then you need to find people that, are, that that's their passion, that that's what they love to do. You know, I eat game meat probably five, six days a week, you know, when I'm home. And uh, it's something that my freezer's always full, and I'm, I'm proud that I live that way. I'm proud that I eat that way. There's no, I mean, I've said it a million times, there's nothing more rewarding like, I was just sitting around. I'd made uh, my javelina. I, I got a good recipe from uh, Jeremiah Dowdy uh, for barbacoa that he used on, like, bobcat and coyote. Um, and I'm like, okay, if it works on bobcat and coyote, it should take care of this javelina pretty well. And 
I made it and I, um, you know, invited my whole family up and, and made this whole family dinner. And there's just this moment when I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm looking around and I'm like, this is, you know, an animal I hunted and I'm, I'm sharing it with my family and everyone just sitting smiling and, and talking like any other dinner. But, um, that just, I couldn't, I've never been so proud. It like just, but it all just came together about it in my life. You know, it all mm-hmm. came together and just seeing the results, those results are what stick with me so much more than pulling the trigger. Like, yeah, I remember that the moment afterwards and, and when I, uh, when I harvested and, and got it and skinned it, but like, that's such a reward afterwards being it's able to share process, it with people. From the time and, you decide to go on a hunt to the application or just buying the tag or, or even not. Mm-hmm. And going on, pulling the trigger is such a small part of the whole experience. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it brings such a nice, rounded, not even a conclusion to the, that whole story, but it's, it's a, a bit of a conclusion in its own way of, of like, this is the, you know, the, final, the final end. It's this meal, and um, it's the, it ties up the experience, and it allows you to kind of really look back, and it gives you a good opportunity to look back at everything. And, right. um, you know, I'll tell Again, you what, I eat a lot more, though, when it's, uh, when it's something I killed, <laughs> man. I it's would sit and eat that all day. But. Yeah. Awesome. So we already talked about Instagram, but where can, uh, where can people find you online? Right there. <laughs> you know, I don't, I have Facebook, but I haven't, uh, I haven't even opened it up for two and a half years. <laughs> so anything you see on there is way old. Uh, Instagram at Hollywood Dave OO. Um, that's for Outback Outdoors, but even though I'm not there, it's still, still stuck. There you uh, go. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much where you can find me or look at uh, the RK Hunting Company or Fraser Safari down in New Zealand. You'll probably see me running around someplace. There we go. Well, I'll make sure I'll make sure to link to all of this on the show notes page. I'll uh, post that up afterwards. But dude, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're uh, you're about to run out of here to go get some folks married uh, tomorrow, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so thanks for taking the time and sitting down. It's good to see you, brother. Good to see you too. Thank you. All right, y'all. That'll do it for episode ninety-six of Living Country in the City. A big thank you to Dave for taking the time during the expo to hop on and chat. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 96. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. And until next time, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.